Good morning. For as long as I can remember, one of my favourite questions to discuss has been, who do you think would win in a fight between... Dot, 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 fill in the blanks. The obvious is the classics of the superheroes or whatever. Um, it's now that question is a favourite of my kids now. They like to introduce Pokemon into the mix. Who would win in a fight between... Bulbasaur or Pikachu or or Charizard and Iron Man. Um, I actually used to watch, and this is, you know, I'm not saying this is remotely good or virtuous behaviour, but I just found it fascinating. I'd watch videos of animals in unusual face-offs, so like lion versus elephant, who who wins in those things. Not good, not virtuous, entertaining, um, though... And this morning we're preaching through the book of Exodus in the Bible and we start to see a face-off. And it's between the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt. And it all kicks off when Pharaoh asks it's this great question. Moses says, let my people go. God says, he says to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And then Pharaoh asks this question, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh, the God of Israel? The reason he is up for this showdown, he's like, well, bring it on. And the reason he's up for it is clarified as he goes on to say, I do not know him. It's like, it's like in a fight, he's going, who's this guy? I, I, I don't know him. This guy's a nobody. I am a somebody. That is Pharaoh's approach when he's talking about the God of Israel. Who is it? I don't know him. But in the Bible... And especially in the book of Exodus, we incredibly, remarkably, we see a God who is not unknown and unknowable, but a God who chooses to make himself known. The God of the Bible is the God who makes himself known. And where we are in the story this week, we've got different characters and different groups who are expressing different relationships that they have with God. And a question for you this morning, what is your relationship to the Lord? Do you know who the Lord is? Do you know the Lord? Who is God to you? That is a big question, but I'm not just saying who is God or do you know who God is, but do you know God? I'm talking about the God of the Bible, like when someone asks you if, if you if you know someone, you might say, "Oh yeah, I know them. I've I've met them." Or, but but do you know them? Know them? It's that kind of thing. Largely, we're asking in this question: Is the Lord your God? Is the God of Israel the God of the Bible? Is He your God? And all of us have an answer to this. We're thinking about. Our answer may be that we don't have a relationship to the Lord, and, and the answer is no. He's not my God. But we all have an answer of some kind. Be honest as you think on this. We'll see some different examples today. For many here this morning, it will be, yes, I know the Lord and my relationship to him is that he is my God. For some, it will be, no, I don't know the Lord. I have no relationship. Maybe you might think, well, I think so. I think I, I know I have a relationship or kind of in theory I know God I have a relationship with God but I struggle in practice maybe I maybe you think I just don't know I'm not entirely sure if I know God maybe you don't even care that would be an answer as well 
Do you know God? What is your relationship to the Lord? It's a big question. So far in the book of Exodus in our story, Israel, the people of God, uh, and they have been chosen by God to be his people, but they have spent 400 years in slavery and it's got worse, 480 years. It's got worse in the last 80 years. But God, we've seen, God has heard their cry. He has seen their misery, remembered his covenant, and he is concerned about them. And he has called Moses to go back He's, he's left and gone to Midian. He, he, God has said to Moses, go back to Egypt and set the people free. He says in chapter 3, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt. But also, when God has said that, he has warned Moses uh, and Israel that it won't be easy. And Pharaoh will not be easy to convince Later on in in the same chapter, God says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. It's important for this morning we'll see. After that, he will let you, you go, God says. God does some miraculous signs uh, to prove to Moses that he is with him. And Moses goes back and meets up with Aaron, his brother. And they have got the overseers of Israel, the elders of Israel on board. And we're ready to go as we come in to the beginning of chapter 5 where we pick up the story. We're ready to begin something of this face-off. And as we go through kind of couple of chapters, we'll see various Characters and groups in the story who have varying relationships to the Lord. And we'll look at their relationships and as we keep asking, what is our relationship to the Lord? Do you know him? And we'll spend most of the time there. And then we'll ask, well, who is the Lord? How are we to understand him? And then we'll ask at the end, well, what is knowing the Lord really about? And, and how is that even possible that we could know God? We'll start by looking more at Pharaoh's relationship to the God of Israel. And we'll read uh, from the beginning of chapter 5, which says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to, to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work, the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. What is Pharaoh's relationship to the Lord? It's pretty clear he didn't know him. He doesn't want to know him. So he just ignored him. As we saw in in verse 2, who is the Lord? I don't know. I don't care, says 
Pharaoh. Pharaoh sees God as totally irrelevant at best, really, and a, a powerless nuisance at worst. He considers Israel to be no, he considers this God of Israel to be no threat at all. God can't do anything. Pharaoh's just a bit annoyed, and so he takes away the straw without a second thought and without a moment of concern. He's not considered what might come back at him for that. Actually, this is, this is an irrational ploy of evil at play here. Why not? Why would Pharaoh, why would he not just up the quota? So we've got to make more now because he's the one who's going to lose out by, by saying to them, I'm taking away your straw to make bricks. It's going to make it much, much harder for you to make bricks. But I want to see the same quota. I mean, it's this, this not possible. There's no way he's going to see the same amount of results. So he's missing out here. But he just is so, he's so determined to make them suffer. That's how he goes. It's, it's incredible um, pride in Pharaoh. And, and there's two factors that allow Pharaoh to ignore God like he does here. And, and given these two factors, his actions make sense. They're, they're, they're understandable. As we've seen, he says in verse 2, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Firstly, Pharaoh doesn't know God himself and so he, he, he doesn't care for his opinion and so he doesn't obey. We care about the opinion of people we know. On uh, Twitter or, or whatever social media platform, uh, celebrities, powerful people, often see the, they'll post something and you might think it's ridiculous what they're saying. But then, and it's, it's kind of tempting to just reply and say, this, is, this is, doesn't make any sense or whatever. And loads of people do. Random, anonymous, pe- anonymous people comment and say how they disagree. I, I get the temptation, but why do these people bother? Do they really think that, that Donald Trump or Beyonce or Gary Lineker give a monkeys about what they have to say? They don't know you, and so they don't care what you think. They, they probably care what their, their family think, those who are close to them, because they know them. But they don't care what you think or what you have to say. The more we know someone, the closer we are, the more we care about what they think. Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord, so he just doesn't care what he thinks or says. And secondly, he can disobey the Lord because he doesn't know who God is. He doesn't realise who he's messing with. It's not going to go well for Pharaoh, as we'll see. In, in God's case, you don't have to know him well. But if you knew about him, that would make a difference to how or if you listened to what he has to say. In in fact, Pharaoh, he considers himself a god and is more than willing to go head to head in this showdown with the God of Israel. However powerful God is, Pharaoh considers himself more powerful. No one can mess with him. And the question is, who is the true God? Who is in charge? Pharaoh thinks he is. And so he conducts everything according to his will. We'll we'll see who wins later on in the book. Pharaoh ignores the Lord. He can do it because he has no relationship to God. He doesn't know God and he doesn't know that God is God. The Lord is not Pharaoh's God. Pharaoh is Pharaoh's God. Same is true for for everyone today. If people are to, to obey God, they must know God. They've got to know God. And it always goes that way round and not vice versa. 
Your relationship to God determines whether you are obedient or how you live. How you live doesn't determine your relationship to God. Unpack that a bit more later. What is your relationship to God? You may not care about what God says or thinks because you don't know him. And that's fair enough. If you don't know God, then then you won't care about him. Christians worship a God who makes himself known. And in knowing him, we begin to care about what he thinks, as we'll see. But let's read a bit more and we'll see Israel's relationship to God or how they view him in this narrative, at least. We'll pick up from verse 15 uh, of chapter 5. It says, Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Pharaoh ignored the Lord because he didn't know him at all. The Israelites should know a little bit better. They are, they are in deep, kind of, for most of us, unimaginable suffering. But that does not ultimately excuse the way that they use the Lord. That's their relationship to the Lord here. When things seem to be going as they want and as they had hoped, things are great, actually. And and they are all in with Moses and Aaron thinking, yeah, this is great. If you read just the verse before we started reading um, the end of of chapter 4, Moses and Aaron have just told the the elders of Israel everything that God said to them. And it says, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. They're all in. Things are great and they are all in. But as soon as things turn south and they're not going as they want or hope, they, the Israelites turn their backs. And it says in verse 20 and 21, When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. It's not the first time we have seen fickleness from them and it it won't be the last either. They're just like us, really. They're just like you and me. They're they're fickle. And as I said, God told Moses it will be this way multiple times. You look at uh, chapter 3, verse 19 and and chapter 4, verse 21. He's told them it's not going to go smoothly from the off. And it says in, in verse 30 of chapter 4 that Moses and Aaron had told the Israelites everything that God had told them. So, so they know, they should know this is going to happen. But for Israel here, their relationship with the Lord was that he was their God as long as it suited them. Jesus in the New Testament talks about different responses there are to hearing his word and he sums up the Israelites really well when he says in Mark 4 16 and 17 
Some hear the word and at once receive it with joy. They worshipped, they bowed down, they were excited when they had good news. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. All through the Bible, there is no such thing as untested faith. God had promised Israel it would get better. He had made that clear, but he had also promised that it would get harder before it got better. And he's made the same promise to believers today. It will get better, but it probably will get harder before it gets better. But, but the point is, that's being made here, is what will keep us close to God is not good circumstances when everything's going as we want it to go, but how we respond when things aren't good. Things maybe are not good for you right now in your life. Oh God, hears your cry. He sees you. He cares about you. He's remembered his promises to you. Don't give up on him. Don't, don't turn your back because you didn't expect whatever you're going through to happen. Things may be tough for you. Things were really tough for Israel. They're in slavery and then they've been, it's been made much worse and the straw taken away. They've got to make their own bricks It's really tough, but they should have lent into Moses and Aaron and God's word, but their faith and their joy lasted only a short time. They had forgotten their relationship to God. They'd forgotten who God was. We'll come on to what knowing the Lord is is all about in a few minutes, but but knowing God is certainly not synonymous with trial-free lives, with, with easy lives where everything goes exactly as we want it to go and expect it to go. So the question is not whether trials will come, but it's how we respond when they do come. What is your relationship to God? Is he your God or is he your God while it suits you? Are you hot and cold, a hot and cold Christian? It's just, yeah, sometimes, not other times. We all have that tendency. If you want to stay faithful when things get tough, or maybe while they are tough right now for you, then you, you don't need him to fix your problems and give you a trouble-free life. You need to press into relationship with him. You need to know him better. And we'll come on that that is possible, as we'll see. Moses in the story, he's similar to Israel in that he is not at all perfect in this passage, but he is different in that he has learned what to do when things aren't going as planned. And Moses, by now, he knew the Lord. It's not to say he's perfect by any means. The way he approaches is Pharaoh in the beginning is not exactly how God had told him to go. He goes in all guns blazing and it sounds great. Let my people go. It's not exactly what God had told him to say. And he becomes a little bit more tentative, uh, but, but actually more accurate to what God told him to say in, in verse, uh, when, when God spoke to him in 3 verse 18. Um, but then he adds this random thing that God had never said. And, and he says to Pharaoh, let us go, or God might strike us with plagues or with the sword. God had never told him to say that. If you twist or if you change the word of God even a little bit, it's not going to go well for you. And just like Israel, he also seems to have forgotten 
that God had told him that Pharaoh would say no at first. So, so Moses, he fluffs it up a bit, but him making a mess will not and does not stop the purposes of God from coming true. God's purposes are rarely fulfilled in the way that we expect. And God is very used to graciously using people who, who he knows will muck it up, but God still gets done what he wants to get done. Moses wasn't perfect, but Moses was never expected to be perfect. The way that we can see that Moses knew the Lord is not by the fact that he gets it all right, but how he responds when it all goes wrong and when even Israel has, has turned on him. The key is the beginning of verse 22 of chapter 5. It says, Moses returned to the Lord. Let's read just those couple of verses. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. I don't know what you think of this response, how Moses responds. It can seem a bit rude, a bit abrupt to talk to God like that. And maybe it is. I think it is a bit of that. But I think there is genuine bewilderment as well. He, he can't understand what's happening, happening and, and, and why it's all going the way it's going. Crucially, though, Moses took his grumpiness and his confusion to the right place. If you're confused, maybe you're frustrated with how things are working out, it is inevitable that you will be that at times. We have all been there. I've been there many times, confused and frustrated with the way things are going. And again, the question is not whether you will be there, but it's what are you going to do with that confusion, with that frustration? Will you let it boil up in you or will you return to the Lord and talk to him about it? That's what people who know the Lord do. And the God of the Bible, he is the God, as we'll see, who parts seas. He can do all things. And at the same time, he is the God who invites us to be honest with him. God does not at all reprimand Moses for his words or his tone. Moses is exactly where God wants him to be at this moment. One commentator says, It was Moses, warts and all, who was caught up in the divine plan. You could add, and that's exactly how God wants it to be. Moses is 80 years old here. He spent 40 years being a prince in Egypt and 40 years in the wilderness. D.L. Moody famously says, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. This is the beginning of Moses realising what God could do with a nobody. And how does God respond to Moses when he's returned to him? It's not um, for the first time that God does this. He kind of ignores the question. And it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. With Moses in this place, God says, now, no more waiting for God to act. The time has come. God's not cross with Moses. And then we get this amazing answer to the question of who is the Lord? 
Okay, there's, well, those relationships are Lord, but who is the Lord? We see he is the God of the past, of, of the present and the future. We'll read from verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared, he's the God of the past. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. That's the past. He's a God of the present. He says, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. And he's the God of the future. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out, of, out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Every time you, this question, who is the Lord? Every time you see in your Bible, the Lord with the word Lord in in small caps, that is a, a Hebrew word of four letters, Y-H-W-H, those equivalents which is probably best translated as Yahweh, or has been translated as Jehovah. There's no vowels in Hebrew, so it's quite complicated. And our Bibles have the Lord with these small capital letters to put it in our terms. But, but this is an identifier for the Hebrew God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's, it's, it's slightly different to just Lord. It is the Lord. It's Yahweh. We sing songs with, with Yahweh in, and, and that's what we're saying when we, when we do that. We are, when we're singing to Yahweh, we are referring to the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament. I've referred to him as the Lord so far, but what I'm really asking when I say, what is your relationship to the Lord, is, is what is your relationship to Yahweh? So when we're asking, who is the Lord, we're, we're asking, who is Yahweh? Yahweh has been kind of an identifier for God in the Bible up to now, even through Genesis. So it's not a new name, but that name is about to be given a new level of meaning through the Exodus story. Like we saw last week when God revealed himself to to Moses in the burning bush, God says, I am who I am. He says, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. And and for that's the first time in this chapter that he, he, having said, I am who I am, he says, I am Yahweh. Yahweh, I am the Lord. And he says it five times uh, in this chapter. And so there's one simple question, one simple answer. Who is Yahweh? God says, I am Yahweh. I can't be measured or defined by anything else. I am who I am. Additionally, though, I think an appropriate and a biblical way to interpret that name is to say that Yahweh is the God who graciously promises to rescue his people. God is going to be defined by anything, by any action. He's happy for it to be this. In three verses, in, in, in verse six to eight, he says, I will seven times. He loves to make promises. He promises to redeem them with an outstretched arm. Remember that phrase, we'll come on to it. And his promise is to rescue his people. Verse seven, then after it's all over, 
when I've rescued you, you will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. When it's over, and then throughout the Old Testament, God refers to himself by saying, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. So who is Yahweh? He is the God who graciously promises to rescue his people from slavery, even though they don't deserve it, and then who delivers on his promise to deliver them out of slavery. Essentially, if you want to know who God is, the Christian God, then read the book of Exodus. That's who he is. But knowing the Lord isn't about knowing stuff about him, and as is true for everyone, you know, you can read a Wikipedia page of a celebrity or a historical figure. You might get to know some stuff about them, but you can't say that you know them. That is certainly the case for Yahweh. So what is knowing Yahweh about? And how is that even possible? It's not about knowing stuff about the Lord. Knowing the Lord is about recognising his authority. Knowing that Yahweh is God. And if you know God, you will recognise his authority. Most of us, when we see a police officer or a police car, we suddenly are more conscious of our behaviour because we recognise the authority that is represented. Pharaoh doesn't recognise Yahweh's authority here because he didn't know him. But later, in chapter 7, God again has kind of reiterated this promise to save them. And then he says in verse 5, that not only will Israel come to know that Yahweh is God, but he says, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Pharaoh, he never comes to know Yahweh personally, but he does learn firsthand who Yahweh is, that he is not to be messed with. If you recognise God's authority, you know him a bit and vice versa. And if, if you don't, you don't. And knowing the Lord is about acting in obedience. Pharaoh didn't care for obeying God because he, he didn't know who he was. We, we, we're not just conscious of our behaviour, actually, when we see a police car or a police officer. We might, we might change our behaviour, we might slow down a little bit or whatever it is. If you know God, you, you will be obedient to him and to his word. More than that, actually... If you are obedient to him, that is because you know him. And that is a more appropriate way to say it, because this is vital to understand. We don't get to know him because we recognise his authority or act in obedience to him. Knowing the Lord is about recognising his authority and obeying him, but just like Moses, we will never do that perfectly in this life. We get to know him because God is and has always been gracious. Because God is gracious and has always been gracious, we can still know him with our warts and all, because God initiates. And because knowing the Lord is about being in right right relationship with the Lord. And and this is made possible not by our obedience or, or our submission, but by the grace of of God. He is the God who makes himself known. That is how we can know God, not just by association, but know him personally, by his grace and by his grace alone. Knowing Yahweh is all about what he has done for us so that we might have 
relationship with him. It started with God then in the Old Testament, in the Exodus story, and it starts with God now. Relationship with God always starts with him initiating. Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't while we were recognising his authority and acting obediently, it was while we were his enemies, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So today, it is because Christ died while we were disobedient that we can know God. And it's at the cross that we fully see that Yahweh is the God who fulfills his promise to deliver and rescue his people from slavery as he rescues us from sin and death. And that's where we see our redemption is secured by grace alone. Exodus 6 verse 6, when God is making these promises, one of the things he says to Moses is, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. There's a promise. This is the, he is the God who promises to rescue. We'll, we'll see as we go through the book how God stretches his arm to deliver Israel out of Egypt, how his arm is not too short to save and how his mighty acts of judgment fall on his enemies. On the cross of Jesus, the arms of God were outstretched and the judgment of God fell not on God's enemies, who is really us, we're the ones who've rejected him, but the judgment of God fell on God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus did this and out with his outstretched arms on the cross, Because of that, we can know God and be in right and good and life-giving relationship with him. This is unlike any other religion or worldview. We don't achieve our identity by getting it right, but we receive it by grace. We don't get to know God by achieving. We receive relationship with him by what he has achieved. It would be a great honour for anyone to serve in Buckingham Palace, to be a servant in the palace and be a servant of the king. God doesn't just get win redemption for us to make us his servants so that we recognise his authority and, and obey him, although he certainly does do that. We do come to do that when he's redeemed us, but he doesn't just make us servants or slaves, he makes us sons and daughters. 1 John 3 verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. If you're a Christian, your identity is that you are a child of Yahweh, almighty God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who has brought Israel and us out of the house of slavery and into his royal household. You and I today can know this God and know him intimately and personally as our loving father, all because of what Christ has done for us and nothing to do with what we might have already done for him.